welcome back to Project Delta with Coach Connor and Coach Pete, where we discuss our off-season venture. Um, today is a beautiful day here in Prince Edward Island. You know, it's uh, the snow starting to melt um, and the weather's getting, you know, a lot warmer. It's nice and sunny. I'm having a little issues with allergies, though. I'm not going to lie, you know. Um, that's It's been getting to me a little bit these past few days. I'm trying to stay on top of... Uh, getting all this stuff off my face. That seems to be the biggest help. Pete, do you have any problems with allergies? Um, very minor allergies. I, um, I take loratadine uh, daily and then I kind of forget I have allergies, but, uh, if I don't take them, I get kind of itchy eyes and, uh, sneezing, but it's a uh, very mild for me in general. Mm. So it's, it's very interesting for me because I never had any issues, um, with allergies until I turned about 31. And then all of a sudden, I just started to wake up in the morning with these like really, really bad headaches. And I didn't really have any idea what it was. I was like, man, man am I just like having caffeine withdrawals? Because it's been, I was cutting back my caffeine or something. But then I realized mm -hmm. that wasn't it. And then um, I started to notice when I go outside now, within about half an hour, if there's an pollen or whatever it is, I really haven't had an allergy test. But it's it's so new in my life, basically. And it only is really bad in the spring, it seems. But whenever I go outside within like maybe 20 minutes, my nose is starting to run already. Mm. And if, if I don't, if I don't wash my face and hands after being outside for a while, it seems to kind of like sit on my face. And if I go to bed that night and don't like wash off my face, well, I wake up with a ripping headache at like every, every day, oh, wow. every time it happens. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's good that I'm a little bit more aware of how to kind of problem solve it. Cause I actually did try allergy meds when I first started to have the, have the issue with it, but nothing seemed to really like work, at least not compared to just like trying to make sure it gets off my face before I go to bed, basically. So it kind of hit me unexpectedly this last week when I was just, you know, all of a sudden the snow started to melt and I wasn't really in my head that I needed to keep on top of this because it was winter, it didn't matter. And then I had a few really bad uh, training sessions because I just, you know, was trying to fight the headache and I eventually bit the bullet and, you know, the, the Advil stuff, works really well for me the the look like liquid gel advil mm -hmm. seem to like kill it pretty quick but i try not to use it if i if i don't really need it because i mean there there was some days when my headache was really bad when i didn't have any you know uh tools to fix this stuff and i I'd, I'd be on 1200 milligrams ibuprofen you know easily mm -hmm. easily which is like that's that's a pretty excessive amount right just to just for seasonal allergies so yeah something i got to be on top of these next few weeks yeah i am um... Uh, I, I had to look it up because my wife suffers from allergies a lot, a lot worse than I do. Um, and what works really well for her is the nasal spray Flonase. Um, it's, it is non, um, non habit forming. So it's not like, um, like Afrin where you can get addicted to it. Right. Like, whereas like your nose doesn't produce shit unless you're taking it anymore. Um, but, uh, she, she swears by it cause she used to get migraines all the time, uh, like daily. And that's, that's helped her quite a bit. So yeah, like a, the, the steroidal uh, nasal sprays um, seem to do really well for her. So it's worth a try. Yeah, actually, you just made me think of, I, I, I had some of that last year and I did find it helped. Um, and I actually, I remember at, uh, last year, I was more on top of it once I figured it out. And basically what I do at my day job at times with, with some of my autism clients is we do a flyer delivery route together, <laughs> which is really fun. Actually. I love it. I mean, you get to walk outside, it's peaceful. It's, it's, you know, the clients enjoy it. I, I enjoy doing it with them. And, oh, yeah. uh, but I'd have to, you know, uh, stay on top of these allergies because that, that would be like the culprit when I get outside and get all the pollen or dander on my face or whatever. And I had a little yeah. allergy, allergy kit. So I had, I opened it up 
some sunglasses on, you know, <laughs> I put a mask on, I had some Flonase and I had a nasal rinse, just saline solution bottle. Uh, and mm -hmm. I had stuff to wash my hands and wipe my face off with as soon as I got back to the car. And if I stayed on top of that, it was pretty good. So I, I have to redo that and get that kit in my car, basically, mm -hmm. <laughs> to make sure I don't have any issues with it. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that um, people kind of forget about Flonase is uh, it's something you're supposed to take daily and it starts working uh, at peak uh, about a weekend and then right. continuously there. So right. one yeah. note. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so how have you been, Peter? We haven't talked in a few weeks. I, I feel like we haven't yeah. talked as much these last few weeks. What's going on? I know. I've been pretty, I guess I've just been busy over the last few weeks. Uh, the last two weeks, um, had I just gotten back from Bellingham uh, last time we talked or was I going to Bellingham? I think you were going to Bellingham. Um, Let's see. Wait, I went on the 20th. Tw okay. Yeah. So I was still back. Uh, anyway, still back, the last but... two weeks were basically, mm-hmm. You were going somewhere else, right? Didn't you have another trip that you had? You had to. That was, was it. A road Washington trip? That was, it. was okay. the last one. Okay, gotcha. But yeah, so the last two weeks have really been me catching up on actual like working work. Gotcha. Um, so like uh, the hands-on stuff at the brewery. So trying to catch up on that. So it's my days have been pretty dense. So like I haven't even been picking up my phone for the most part. So like seeing you guys in the in like the group chat, it's been real quiet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's been pretty busy, and I actually was like super exhausted for first week or two back um i know my first uh canning day uh back which was i guess the 20 i guess it was the fourth uh because it was last week that was particularly brutal um on Tuesday, because i've been uh, averaging about eight to nine thousand steps because we talked about this on the group chat uh, for the last month or two so pretty for me pretty low uh, I was getting a little bit more like sedentary in my in my job, doing a little bit more of the, like the admin work. Um, but I had to, I had a lot of stuff to catch up on, and on uh, yeah, the last canning day, which is canning beer, um, I got twenty two thousand steps. Wow. So like, just That's a lot. Me. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot, uh, which is you know up there with the most steps I got on my um, my prep like when I was just trying to get steps in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So that was pretty tough. And then the, the day immediately after that, I also got another like 18,000 steps. So I just, it was, a, it was a week where I was just trying to eat enough to, to kind of like keep up with all my activity, but all my guesstimates for how much I should be eating was, was way low. So like I was uh, just like slightly under eating while eating over my normal calories and just losing weight throughout the week. But um yeah, it's been pretty busy uh, with a lot of brewery work and just trying to keep uh, uh, all the quality uh, for my clients up um, in, in like the coaching way. So, yeah, I was focusing on that, not really the, the group chat as much, which was kind of sad. It's interesting about the steps because I recall a time when, um, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time was uh, uh, prepping and she was, we were going to mm -hmm. spend a weekend together. We were basically just going to do steps basically to get her cardio in. And I was not acclimated to it, but I was in the off season and I was ready for the energy increase and I was going to make up for it by eating. And I did, I didn't, I didn't lose any weight, but I was so fatigued from just doing all the steps. You know, it didn't, it didn't matter if I ate them back. It was just physically fatiguing. It took away. Actually, it, when I got to the gym after, after those steps, like it felt oh. like the, the RPE was just higher on just like based, you know, basically like RIR2 felt like failure, but it wasn't, but it just felt like this, it hurt that much more just from all the steps I was doing, right? 
Yeah, that's one of the reasons I lift in the morning. Um, there's a couple of reasons. One, I get more time with Caitlin uh, in the time where we're both more active. Um, but I spent a few years as a delivery driver um, and I was delivering beer for Ponysaurus. And basically I would like go to work, um, have my work day, be exhausted because I was lifting kegs and like running back and forth uh, basically the whole day for like 10 hours, I guess. And then I would go like go to the gym, be like, well, why am I here? <laughs> I don't have the energy for this. I'm just trashed. Um, so yeah, like on the high step days, like, well, any day I lift in the morning and I think you do too now anyway, yeah. like there was, there's no chance I'm going to have a qual for me that no chance that I was going to have a quality workout at the end of my day. So I always, I always just train in the morning now just so I can, I guess, dedicate my best energy for my yeah. gym, but I that, that doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. So everyone has different needs that make, I talk to a lot of people too, who have, they, their kind of default is to train in the evening because they have kids that they have to get to school and then mm -hmm. the, they work, you know, a basic nine to five. So they're looking at training at like five thirty, And so I, I, I get why they have to do that. I mean, that makes sense, but I, I think there's some decent advantages to training in the morning. If you're looking at only the morning and only the evening, especially if you like to use any sort of caffeine, because you know, the people taking oh, yeah. you know highly dosed stimulants at like 5 6 p.m. at night. I'm a little skittish about that. I, I know they can do it and they could be okay, but for me, I think that would wreck my sleep. And I it's just it's just not a, a great idea to have it that close to bed. I don't think. I mean, even if you're going to bed at eleven o'clock, you know, you're still going in with a decent shot of caffeine. So I think anyone who can train early AM, if they have the option, the luxury to do it, it's it's a good choice. Yeah. One of the things that gets me with like um, talking to people about their caffeine, caffeine intake and just like friends and clients, like when you, you get the person who loves caffeine, like myself, and they're like, Oh yeah, I can take it whenever I sleep just fine. And I'm like, you can fall asleep. Sure. But the quality of the sleep for the first four hours is probably going to be different than mm. if you had no caffeine, like just cause you're not conscious doesn't mean you're resting in a quality way. And I know yeah. actually we want to talk about sleep more later so we can dive more into it. But it's just when you when you said like some people will be fine taking it later, I'm like, but are they? Yes, and I think that's a hard people a hard thing for people to get their heads around because they can't really perceive it. But yeah, it's not quantifiable. From, yeah, from a mechanistic standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, you, I I feel like when I have these discussions with people, I kind of like read them the riot act with that, but then I come to be like, well, do what you want to do. You're an adult, but realize there might yeah. be some negatives. And yes, I do actually want to touch on sleep real quick as we're just kind of talking about our updates. Cause I just you know, noticed, you know, let's as do it I, now. yeah, let's do it now. Um, as, as I get, you know, more, a little bit more body fat on and I'm, you know, uh, hovering around, you know, 196. So we're talking about like 22 pounds, 23 pounds over stage weight, basically. I'm just feeling really good. I'm feeling really, let's put it this way. I'm feeling really parasympathetic, right? So I'm Ooh, feeling nice. Lots of resting and reposing uh, these days. And I was just thinking about how this relates to my sleep. And I know everyone's a little bit different, how an extreme deficit or contest prep can affect their sleep. But I would say I'm like someone on the spectrum of who it really, really messes up their sleep. And, you know, I'm like everyone else. I'm trying to get every advantage I can within natural means. And I'm trying to do as best I can to manage my sleep during prep. And I'm doing, you know, all these things that the experts recommend, like, you know, no, uh, bright lights after a certain amount of time, you know, put away your phone or tablet, you know, at a certain time. Um, uh, everything I can think of caffeine cutoffs. That's a big thing with me too. And, you know, there's, there's good reasons for that for multiple reasons, but that's something that 
uh, I started to do because I wanted to get better quality sleep, you know, struggling with my sleep on prep, right? And um, that's all that's all good, but none of that makes a difference for me uh, when I have that low body fat. It, it, it doesn't matter, man. Like now I can go to sleep and I can like maybe wake up for a second at two in the morning, roll over and just go back to sleep. In prep, it's like I'm waking up and I'm like wired. Like it's like, go hunt that deer, man. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, it's it's that's why I find some of this stuff from this like, at least at the time when I'm absorbing it during prep, I find that all the sleep hygiene stuff sometimes a bit frustrating because you're you're mm-hmm. being in power with all this knowledge, but you're also like fighting against this impossible, you know, force that is nature <laughs> telling you to go eat basically. So that's just something I noticed is such a big difference for me personally with um, the sleep quality. Like I could sleep, you know, eight hours in a row right now without really even worrying about it, where it just doesn't happen at the end of prep. And it, it gets, it's on, it's on like a sliding scale. And um, I, I, I kind of applied this too with one of my clients who's um, about to compete this weekend is he's a first timer. And, you know, with first timers, you're trying to figure out what they're kind of limit is how far you could push them. And one thing that was really telling for, for uh, this guy, his name's Dominic. So one thing that was telling for Dominic is every time he was about to liberate some body fat, his sleep just went to shit that night, you know? Um, and that was a very, a very distinct pattern that was happening every time he was making a big drop. And I was like, in my head, conceptualizing this, I was like, well, it kind of makes sense. You're getting this big, like dump of like cat- catecholamines, like epinephrine, norepinephrine, whenever you're going to have that big drop a body fat off, right? Which, you know, it kind of like is keeping you more awake, right? And I think I have the similar experiences too. Whenever I'm going through those drops, I really find those nights more challenging than the other nights where I'm kind of just maybe getting into a deep enough deficit, maybe after a refeed or whatever, it's just really kind of uh, lopping off. But what I did for this guy is, you know, as I noticed like his sleep got worse and worse and worse, I started, I kind of like found that line in the sand where I wanted to kind of stop pushing him so much into a big deficit because I really thought, you know, if we have you sleeping two hours a night at five weeks out, I have a good idea that you're probably not going to maintain that much muscle for these last six weeks stretch. So I kind of just kind of slowly bumped up his calories a little bit to see what we could get away with to kind of just preserve him to the show. Um, And I think people are unique in that aspect. I don't think everyone suffers those issues with sleep the same way, at least from the, from what I've heard from people. Um, yeah, we're, that, you and I are very, very different. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. A good example of like Project Delta, the difference between us is enormous for sleep. Yeah, yeah. And so I, my next question was like, if you want to tell the listeners what your experience is like with that, because mine is totally different. Like I'm totally relaxed, totally can just fall asleep, no problem and not even worry about it. Contest prep, I'm stressing about it mentally because I know it's going to be a mental battle uh, to get through the night and that makes the stress worse. And then the physiological need to eat i think it's just driving me to just you know sleep these like two to three hour blocks basically so it's a really frustrating thing for me but um right now it's great and that just shows i think how important it is for me to most of the time be maintaining this body composition where i'm getting good sleep because that's going to be good recovery it's going to be good training but yeah what's what's your experience like peter man it's kind of hard to hard to describe um my relationship with sleep has been pretty good uh since i was a kid um i guess to best describe it there was i was watching a movie with my family and i think it was maybe like saving private ryan or some sort of other military movie uh where they were just kind of in the trenches and one of the one of the characters was talking about uh when he was little trying to stay up for uh, like 
being on like the couch sleeping, waiting for like his parent to get home from from like bed or sorry from work or something. Like the character would always fall asleep when they're trying to stay up, and if they're trying to fall asleep, they would always like not be able to fall asleep. Um, which is kind of like the what you're describing with like if you really want to go to sleep, it compiles the stress. You can't go to sleep, and I around that like I, that quote has stuck with me for my entire life. I just tried to look up what movie it was, um, but for at least five years, I thought about that before I would go to bed and just go to bed like I'm not trying to sleep anymore and just fall asleep right away. Um, it's like this weird ritual I had for several years, and ever since then, I fall asleep quite well. Um, my <laughs> my wife hates it because I fall asleep very, very quick. Um but uh, when it comes to prep, um, basically, my sleep was identical to what it is now. I would fall asleep right away, uh, wake up one time to go to the bathroom about two hours before my alarm, and I would, would then just wake up. The difference is the total, uh, total amount of time was reduced when I was basically at glute shredded uh, time. Uh, that's when the, I would wake up at after basically exactly five hours every morning, every, yeah, every, every night. And I would wake up and I would actually just, I would wake up and be like, I can't wait to go out to the shed, uh, which is my home gym. So I would just like wake up and be like, I can't fucking wait to, to train. So like, I wasn't mad at it because I would wake up. I, I felt like I had at least enough energy. Um, there were day, like days where I was uh, tired and lethargic, but it was usually like mid midday after a whole bunch of exercise and my, calorie intake wasn't great uh for like the digging phase or whatnot sure um but honestly it was it was the same it seemed like the same quality um with no change in kind of habits except for that that whole time condensed uh into like what i imagine it's like being my grandparents where they just go to bed at, at nine and wake up at three and they play cards for the rest of the morning until everyone else wakes up um it really just kind of felt like i just didn't need as much sleep and i felt fine for it. Um, and as I started bringing calories back in, um, it just slowly lengthened back out to the normal time. Yeah. I, I think it is really important though, to establish those habits of this routine. And, um, obviously it gets more trying as, uh, at least for me, as, uh, the season gets deeper and deeper, but, um, I, de I definitely wanted to comment too on that kind of rush of excitement to get up to the gym in the morning, because I think I get that too. Cause like prep is kind of like an adrenaline rush because every training session feels like it matters so much. It feels, <laughs> yeah. it feels, it feels like there's more on the line and it is Another like a gram of muscle. I didn't lose. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I definitely feel that too. So I do feel that kind of excitement and energy, but I would associate that with like, like I said, like I talk about parasympathetic and sympathetic. I think of that more as like the sympathetic drive, you know, the fight or flight type mm -hmm. feelings that come with like that big deficit and honestly man when I'm in that stage there's advantages to it too because I'm on top of everything man my dishes are done because like yeah. you know, dishes in the off season they don't bother me if they're accumulating here Prep, man, okay you've got to be on top of it you're just boom 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 you know you're thinking of I, everything you need to do we can't move it on done. we can't move on during prep I I wash dishes every night at 9 10 to 9 15 so that there were no dishes on the sink None. when i would go to bed it's got to be clean at 10 yes. absolutely yeah i'm not like that that's not me i yeah. i let i let plates and bowls stack up 
I have, I'm dreading doing dishes today because we have company tomorrow. And like after this, I'm like, oh, I hope this podcast is forever so I don't have to do those dishes. <laughs> but yeah, in prep, it was, I cooked every meal and I did every dish. I didn't even let Caitlin do it. Uh, I didn't want her to do it. it wa- I wanted it to be a thing that I did. Right. And right now I just, it's totally different. I want them to stack up and I'll wash them when I have to. It's so wild. I didn't know other people were, were doing that as well. Yeah. The way I compartmentalize all this stuff is it's just these little things that don't really bother you when you're in the off season, they start to kind of be more noticeable during prep. And you tend to like, since you're so on top of everything, you need to be so organized and so quick with your time, you end up just taking care of things right away because you're just like, God, I can't leave that there. It'll bother me to get in my way when I'm cooking my meal tomorrow or whatever. Right. And you just, Mm -hmm. you end up being almost a little bit more responsible in in that sense. I almost wish I was more like that now. Like I don't like letting stuff accumulate, you know, (laughs) Yeah. like, like it doesn't bother me in the moment, but once it gets overwhelming, then it's overwhelming. Right. But, um, in prep, I'm just, I'm on top of it, man. It's, it's good to go. That's too funny. I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that, but I I did want to double back real quick. Um, But I did actually do, there are routines that I have before bed to kind of maintain habits. Um, I use my iPhone and it tells me it's like uh, wind down time at 9.13. I don't know why it picks that time, but it does. Nice. Um, and at that point, I like start chilling. I usually get up from the couch and like get my clothes together for the next day, um, pre-grind my coffee and get my coffee maker set up. And like those things I do every night. Uh, or at least most nights unless I'm like watching a TV show up to the line. Um, on prep, I did it every night. There was no no difference. Um, I'm a little bit more relaxed with it right now, but um, there was a lot of a lot of very specific routines that um, were bookending um, my nights. So, you know, I had that, making my coffee, getting my clothes ready for the gym. Then I'd wake up in the morning. I'd go to the bathroom. I'd weigh myself. I'd get dressed. I would cook my breakfast, and then I would go to the shed. So it was the right before and right after bed was nearly identical for the entirety of prep. Nice. I have another question for you too. That just came into my mind as you were talking uh, about sleep. Do you do that routine like seven days per week or does your schedule kind of change on the weekend that much? Like it changes slightly. Um, I maintain the same um, number uh, like this. I, I shoot for seven hours every night in my off season. Um, I just shift it from going to bed at 9.30 to like anywhere between 9.30 and 11, uh, just so I can spend that time with my wife. And I just generally wake up seven hours later. Um, so there's a little bit difference in the time that I like my body's reaching like, like peak core temperature, like that cool, cool temperature or whatever that is. Um, like there's going to be differences in that and like my cycles for the most part, but the total amount of time I've, I've kept consistent. And that was the same um in prep as well because maintaining um a time with caitlin on the weekends was something that was important sure. at least for me so yeah yeah i i think one of the reasons i'm in such a good rhythm now is because i've actually been doing my routine pretty much the same times for like seven days it like all seven days out of the week most nights and now if i have the odd night where it's different because something's going on it feels very one-off whereas i think my last off season there was more variance and it was a little bit harder to get into the rhythm, although it was still the same thing. It was like restful sleep, feeling good. But right now it's like the routine has been dialed in and I've, I've been loving it. Like I love, I think like most people like a good routine, right? So it's been, it's been nice to see it all kind of come together in that way lately for myself. So it's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny you brought up sleep um, independently of 
uh, not having read my notes because I didn't write them in our in our paper. Um, but I am exhausted today. Um, so I normally go to bed at 9.30 on weekdays. But yesterday I was at uh, the Bruce O'Rama in Durham, which is a Bruce Campbell. Uh, it was like a trivia thing, Last Man Standing. And then uh, a, a screening of the of Evil Dead 2. And I got home at 11.45. And I, I looked at my, my, like my phone where I have my little sliding alarm clock because it's seven hours and it just goes around the clock. And I had it set for like 6.40 in the morning. And I, I just looked at it and I was like, but I got a lift. So I just dialed that amount down. So like last, last night I got about four hours to sleep, which for wow. me never happens. Wow. Um, James... James is going to listen to this podcast uh, <laughs> amateurs, in, in, in amateurs. ample yeah. free time and think, wow, I can't believe he got four hours of sleep. Yeah. That man hasn't slept in days. Yeah. Uh, but he has a newborn. So there is that. But yeah. Um, but yeah. For me, I was just totally annihilated this morning. I was grumpy at the gym. Um, I, I remember my phone fell out of my pocket and bounced on the floor while I was doing incline dumbbell press. Oh, I was like, man. God damn it. And then one of the people came over and like, Hey, we heard you say "God damn it" really loudly. Are you all right? I was like, "I'm fine. Leave me alone." Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, it's been better for me lately. But I would struggle with the odd episode of insomnia uh, here and there last off season. And on some of those days, I would, if it was like four in the morning and I knew I wasn't going to get to sleep because I was having one of those episodes, I would usually decide not to train. But that was only because I trained through so many of them and just knew it was bad. And it, it, it's funny too, because I'm sitting here complaining about sleep, but I'm, I'm honestly so grateful for my routine now because I worked four years of shift work as a paramedic. And that was, that was tough, man. Like that was a lot of being tired. Shift not, work. Yeah. Not, not knowing when your shift's going to end a lot of battling through tiredness constantly. And so now if I have to do it, I'm more like a coward. I'm just like, man, I did that for four years. Like I just, I don't want to, subject myself to that anymore but there were days man i would work even just a long day shift and i'd drive an hour uh from my place um to work a 12-hour shift drive an hour God back damn. yeah drive an hour back start my training session uh i'm and i remember there was one time i did this in prep start my training session at like 8 30 at night um do a workout do some cardio because i was in prep and then i had to be at work at a different like base uh, the next day at like 6.30 in the morning or something. So I was like finishing at the gym at like 11.30, 12, and then going to getting five hours of sleep. And then after being awake for all that time during the day and then have to work the next shift or whatever. And same thing between night shifts and stuff. It was always a mess, but it's so much easier now working a basic nine to five. So it's, yeah. it's, it's been great, man. I really can't complain. In, in most situations, I wouldn't have uh, actually gotten up uh, to lift today. Um, but it was just like the last maybe three, four weeks, as I kind of mentioned, I've, I've been so like so busy uh, with traveling to the Arnold and then two weeks later traveling to um, Bellingham, Washington. You got to get it so, in. Like, yeah, it's too much, too like, much being missed or being very varied. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was, it was like, yeah, I just didn't want to have another day that was odd. I just want a, like more time where everything has been consistent Right. because uh, training's been going really well. So I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll take the one day of less sleep. I know that myself as, as an individual get plenty of sleep. So one day of like being tired at the gym is better than, than, than most. So. Awesome. Yeah. I wanted to ask about your home gym. 
I know your AC outlet burned out. Have you been able to fix it yet? Or do you want to tell the listeners about what happened to that? Yeah, so um, I have, there's a couple things uh, that are up with this. So uh, I wanted to power in my home gym and I have a friend of mine who used to own an, elect- an electrician business uh, and then he sold it before he went into the brewing industry. And so I know him from brewing. But um, anyway, so I was like, hey, I want to power my shed, but I have like no budget. Can you help me out? Uh, and he did, in fact. So we um, we were able to tap into one of my uh, like 20 amp um, uh, circuits in our uh, in like my box or whatever uh, that was free. It didn't have anything attached to it, so I I sent that through the wall to the outside of the house and put an exterior um, plug on that with a plastic casing, uh, and that's been great. And then we had to bring that. Uh, I had to. I have to run a cord from that to my shed, which is like 80, maybe, maybe it's like 75 to 80 feet away from the side of the house. And so I have a plug that goes from that to the other, to the shed that I plug in there as well. Um, and then whenever I like people mow my lawn, I pull the cord up, put it in the shed and bring it back out. Uh, I recently buried it. I just like put, pulled the sod up and put that, that underneath the sod and then press the sod back down. But Anyway, that's not a huge, huge thing for the story, uh, but it will come up later as I complain about it. Um, anyway, just the other day, I, uh, I went into the shed uh, for, this was Monday last week, and or Tuesday last week. And I was like, huh, it tripped. Because uh, it is GFCI protected since it's outside of the house, uh, meaning that when there's a, a surge of some sort, um, it disconnects. Um, I don't know how it does that, but it just automatically disconnects. Uh, it's the same thing that's uh, within five feet of any water source in your house. So if you've got the little outlet that has that little square or rectangular button in between, uh, that's GFCI. Anyway, so that, that protects people from getting electrocuted with like hair dryers and shit like that. Um, but I have one of those on the outside of my house and it kept tripping. So I kept going back and forth and I'm like, what is causing this? Like I was looking at my, my heaters because heaters have a large draw on heat sure. on yeah. electricity which is why I have 20 amps so I can heat the, heat the shed um, or 20 volts. I'm pretty sure it's amps. Anyway. Um, so I had, I had a lot of, you know, power draw from that and it just kept tripping. I was like, well, that's weird. Um, so like I got, I took the heat, I unplugged the heater and then went and came back. I was like, you know what? Now that I think about it, I've smelled some plastic the last few times I was in here. I looked at all the plugs and I went over to, to where it was in the house. I'm like, that one looks fine. I was like, wait, there's one more plug. And I went to where the um, outside of my shed meets the plug, which also has one of those plastic casings, and it was annihilated. There was like a a half-inch wide charred hole that went in about a centimeter. I just use inches and centimeters like a jerk. But um, yeah, it was a a huge gape uh, from – I guess it did some sort of arc between – the right prong and the screw that that holds it to the the casing. So it did one quick arc, melted that whole thing, and then it tripped. So like wow. you know, because it's GFCI, I like my shed didn't burn down, but that plug is destroyed. I have to rewire it. I've got all the parts I need in my in my um, Amazon cart, and I need to do that uh, here in the next couple of days. But um, what we're going to do is I had to pull that wire out of the ground that I just buried. Because uh, it's probably toast. Uh, he's he's like, eh, if it arcs like that, just don't use the wire again. We'll get you a higher amperage wire. 
so it can can handle stuff like that. And then we're going to change it into the same sort of outlets that they used to plug in RVs. Yes. So it's going to be a, an RV connection, which like people plug in RVs in like storms and shit. That's yeah. how people camp. So it'll be perfect. So it'll, it'll like, that's probably how we should have done it to begin with. Uh, I'm excited to do that, but I've been without my home gym for like a week and a week and three. Well, yeah, full like week, I guess now, because it was Tuesday that I was out, to be honest, uh, which was a real bummer for that morning because I did not get much of a workout. I bet not. Yeah. Um, so you have a, a close by gym you like to, you, you can just go to any day, eh? Uh, I have a gym. It's the strongman gym. It's the pit in, uh, Hillsboro, North Carolina. It is 30 minutes away from me. Oh, that's, yeah, um, that's a bit of a, but, bit of a hike. Yeah. But there's nothing within 20 minutes of me that exists. Gotcha. Um, I could go like 10 minutes North, but then that brings me an hour from work because I've work, got a 40 yeah, minute yeah. commute. Yeah. So like, so anyone who's watching, uh, the camera, so like I'm North of Durham, uh, like by about 45 minutes hillsboro is like if you kind of go tangentially a little bit it's 30 minutes from me and then 20 minutes from work so it it kind of like it, it makes sense to do that um there's some gyms in downtown that i could probably join but they don't have like astroturf a lot of like logs stuff like that uh so it just happens to be the closest thing to me that's a, a quality strongman gym as well as having enough machines to be a quality bodybuilding gym so for me it's perfect but nice. it is close enough. It's 24 hours. So it just works out. Nice. Yeah. I'm really lucky that my drive to the gym in the morning is about 15 minutes. And then it's about another 15 minutes to work. So I kind of like start here. I go to the gym. I go to work. And then I come all the way home later on. But it's it's nice how it. I don't have to like backtrack, I guess, to, yeah. to get anywhere. So for those not watching, it was a straight line and then straight <laughs> line back. That's the <laughs> yeah. dream. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice too because there's I live I live just outside basically town here and it's um pretty rural road so I mean no one's really driving there that early in the morning so it's it's a quick shot and if there was traffic it would take forever but there's no traffic in the morning you know almost ever so yeah uh, it's great I love it yeah um you know I've been enjoying training at the gym I don't have it's there's like twelve squat racks in this gym so I don't have to wait oh. for a squat rack there's four half racks. For anyone who knows what a half rack is, there are three full squat racks. Then there are three competition benches slash squat racks, the ones that have the uh, uprights that can extend up and then they go wide or narrow depending. And it's kind of like for equipped lifting for the people who can't keep their arms narrow. The, the uprights go in so you can put your hands on the outside of it. Uh, and then there's like two squat. Um, there's a monolift as well as a... Um, couple of uh, belt squats so like i don't have to wait on anything except for if someone's using the log which is a strongman gym there's some people that use it but it's not not that often at 5 a.m it was so. an easy, easy transition to take all the stuff you had into programs at that gym then eh yeah it was super easy um there's like a few things that i couldn't really do my unilateral um like, like that one armed pull down mm. there there was some things that could work but like it just wasn't comfortable in the seat so i just like grabbed a narrow handle and i just did it with two yeah. arms um, yeah but everything actually, else everything else that was translated quite well I, I saw that video i think from the gym where you showed a few of your back motions they were yeah. they were pretty good and i was like you know he's got a nice varied amount of stuff in there and it's like yeah it's like that 
you know, maybe it's not single arm, but it's still arm path in front of the body. It's still, it's still about the same thing, right? It's, it's not this or it's not that, but it's, you know, right in here and you know, it, it yeah. works, right? It works. It works great. So, yeah, I was perfectly happy with the substitution. I'm not worried about it. And honestly, my workouts have been feeling great. The, the biggest thing though, is I just never had thought about this. And I actually brought this up in the chat not too long ago was the crossbody uh, rear delt flies. Oh, yeah. uh, so yeah. with the, the Titan stack I have, I just bring the, the two, um, I get rid of the handles and I just hold the ball uh, just because yep. I can go a little bit more narrow. I don't have all that space. And I just bring it all the way to the center. And then I just do my, I guess, reverse flies or rear delt exercise from that. But at this new gym, there was this like piece of equipment that I could lean against really well. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Why don't I just try like a lengthened, you know, a lengthened version of this. And so I just kind of like rotated my body 90 degrees and added a huge amount of range of motion to it by just doing one arm at a time. It, yep. it added a little bit of time, but honestly, it, it has felt spectacular. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I'm definitely going to keep that in. Even if I go to my home gym, I'm going to find a way to just rotate my body and, and do it on a different like just make sure I can do exactly the same movement, yeah. essentially. I'm really loving it. Yeah, to me, it seems to make sense intuitively. I mean, obviously, there's lots of ways you can program. But I mean, in general, with most people, you're doing some sort of variation of rows and pull downs in your program mm -hmm. where you're usually hitting the rear delt in a fairly shortened position, especially in like a row, you know? Yeah. Uh, so to me, it makes sense if you're going to isolate it, like try and get it stretched out and really try and like you know, really get some good stimulus there because I mean, you might not get as much of that in your basic uh, pulling motion. So that might be a nice complement to your program, right? And I, yeah. do, I do a similar thing. I haven't been doing the single arm version of it, but I have in the past, but I'll kind of um, do a wide cable stack and I'll let my arms kind of go up here into elevation. So I'm kind of making an X over my head for people who aren't uh, watching the video, but that is getting it fairly lengthened by letting it come all the way out here, right? And that to me feels really good. And then the resistance kind of drops off a little bit, the shortened, um, the way it's set up at the cables. And that's been a, a good option for me. Um, I do. I have done that movement in the past. Um, and I think it's like, I think it's great. Yeah. I, it, it's a weird thing for me. I can't stand the, uh, the way the cables interact. Um, yeah. When I, I accidentally bump I them, hear what I you like, mean. They do. And you have to have one arm over the other. Yeah. 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 yeah I yeah, just yeah. couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I was like, whatever, I'm just going to do this one arm. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather do mine one arm. I just, for whatever reason, I maybe decided on that day, there's enough unilateral stuff. And I was like, line in the sand. Yeah. You do have a long, a long unilateral day. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to mention too, uh, since a lot of people are talking about how they're doing their long muscle length training. Uh, I've actually been doing a little bit on my program. And I thought I might go into that a little bit because some of it's a yeah, little, it. some of it's a little unique. Um, so for today example, I trained chest and back together. Uh, and basically I did a row and a pull down motion uh, for lats on this day. And the first was a machine row. And basically on the machine row, I did two sets full range of motion where I like I got all the way back shortened and spent some time in the short position and tried to really retract a little bit there. Um, and then for my third set, I just did a set that was a little bit heavier. So um, on the machine, I was on 240 uh, for a set of two sets of nine, I think it was. And then- Kilos, I, right? Yeah. Well, actually it's a weird, it's a weird Atlantis machine where 
you can go one arm at a time. So this is a unilateral mm-hmm. row. And if you put on 240, it gives you 120 actually. So it, it it's like it's like the equivalent of like a hundred 120 pound dumbbell row or something basically. Okay. Um, so yeah. Um, and then I did two sets full ROM, and then I did one set where I put out up to 270 the stack, and just did about maybe 50 percent of the ROM to failure. And so once I couldn't get like past you know that 50 percent mark, I called the set there. So that was my way for that method. Then I did a single arm pull down. And I had a little bit of a different method here, which I think is maybe different. I haven't heard of anyone else doing this, but I'm sure someone else thought, thought of it. They just didn't talk You're about it. You're hearing it now, folks. Yeah, here it is. Yeah. So um, this one, uh, the single arm pull down was on a Cybex machine. And I have, you know, the lat, it's it's a lat pull down station, basically, Cybex lat pull down. And they have a good, you know, uh, thigh support on that one. So mm-hmm. you have lots of stability from your thighs. So what I was able to do was I pulled from the top, um, basically, normally and then once i got my elbow down to a certain position i self-spotted myself so the resistance came off a little bit in the shortened position so you know how they have these like prime machines or whatever that have the plates oriented in a way that when you pull it some of the resistance drops off or they have the cam where you can adjust it so it's like there's more in the lengthened or it's very even portion of the rep so the way mm-hmm. i did it this this way was i'm now definitely for all these reps Every single one I did a set of I did a few sets of twelve was definitely being limited by the length of position and there was a drop off in the shortened. So I did. It's kind of a bit of a timing thing, and I could see how people think, "Well, you don't need to do this," but I'm just kind of playing with it, so it's kind of fun. But basically, I would just pull down, I wait till my elbow past a certain point, and I just spot it in and did that for the whole set. It felt great. It felt amazing. And then as I hit those sets to failure, I kind of had it had an RAR target for that. And once I, once I realized that I was just spotting myself too much on the short end, I kind of let off a little bit and just tried to get a really big isometric in that last negative. So where I tried to hold it as much as I could at the top position for as long as I could, it was only about three or four seconds before I felt like I had to give up or the pain was too much. And that was really, that was really good. Like that felt really stimulative actually. And that's a way I haven't heard of anyone trying it yet. So it was fun. Well, interestingly enough, that's very similar to the one-handed pull-up progression model. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about um, that. So like you basically you you start at the top, you go down and like at the lengthened at like this position. Okay, so my arm is fully extended above my head for those who are just listening. Um and then you you self spot until you get to right. like I don't know, maybe half range of motion. And then because your strength curve is a little bit better, you you then spend less time in that um self spotting and you finish off um the rest of that one arm pull up. And you you basically just uh, taper down the self spot um, right. until you can do a pull up because, I mean it's it's similar that like yeah, yeah. during the the lengthened position or the weakest position for the lat um, right. you're you know providing a little bit more strength so it's it's like an inverse of that in some ways but also using similar ideas I love yeah it. yeah yeah it's I'm gonna keep doing it like um, I might I might try to put these pull downs in for my next Mesa cycle where I'm doing them and I'm doing a set to failure in the short position. And then I'm also doing the same weight for the next set. Maybe if I decide I want to do two sets, whatever, whatever amount of sets I decide is necessary, but then maybe I'll fail in the short and then I'll maybe do the self-spotting thing where I'm, you know, uh, not longer being limited by the short, I'm being limited by the lengthened. Um, to me, to me, that makes sense to get the most total tension on the muscle possible. Cause obviously you still want to get the short position still has some benefits, obviously, but, um, you know, mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think that's something I might want to try and just keep experimenting with because it felt really good. My lats feel blown up today. Like they feel like I just really got deep into them. So you yeah. you mentioned chess too. Was did you do chess today too? I did, yeah. And I actually do the odd little bit of partials on chest, which is different because a lot of chest motions are very length and dominant. But this one I did it was on a machine chest press with a very even resistance profile that converged. Mm-hmm. So that one as well, too, once I did three sets of that, when I hit failure on the third set, I did one set to failure, my last set. Uh, I took 10 breaths, and then I did partials out of the bottom just to kind of get a little bit more stimulus out of that length and range. That, so that wasn't the whole set. That was just a few partials, like as almost, almost like a rest pause. Um, mm-hmm. But then the rest of the movements were all very lengthened and hard there. I didn't do any sort of special techniques there just kind of basic sets and reps there. Yeah. Um, I actually did very similar. So my, my, my workout today was chest delts and tries, uh, basically like, um, I was supposed to do close grip bench, but I just apparently zoned out this morning cause I wasn't paying attention and I did low incline dumbbell press instead. Nice. Um, uh, anyway, so, you know, that's just a little tidbit. Um, but so for today, um, I also did, uh, chest. So, I really focus on the stretch with the dumbbells just because I don't have those huge ass dumbbells that they touch my chest before I hit range of motion. Uh, cause I'm not a huge dude. Um, so I'm able to get a really, really deep stretch on, uh, like my pecs in, in like a dumbbell press. And then after that, uh, like I just did normal straight sets for that once. And I tapered down the weight to make, make sure I maintained my rep range. Uh, that's how I did that particular one. Then I moved on to, um, uh, cable lateral raises, but then I did um, uh, pec deck. So I had the the pec fly machine, and I w- I have always set that thing on whatever the most I could stretch to. Yep. Um, and so I I I've just been like less emphasizing touching the two hands, like clapping at the yep. end. I just don't emphasize that like I used to. Uh, and I did about four sets of moderate difficulty with as much range of motion as I as I could with that weight, and I did a like follow-up overload set with, I don't know, like 30% more weight where I did half range of motion for uh, basically until, until failure. So until I could no longer maintain half range of motion. Um, and that, that felt great. And it was basically the same thing that you just described for um, your first row movement yep. uh, where you just kind of slightly overloaded the length and position just to get yeah. a little bit more volume in that space. Yeah. And I guess uh, mechanical tension as well. Yeah, I think that's that's a key point I want to highlight too because to me it makes more sense to do these te- partial techniques in something that's a short range position dominant thing. So something like like a pec deck too, it's going to be hardest as you squeeze it in, right? You're going to mm. lose strength as you get short and a lot of machines are set up so they get a little bit harder there. Um, so I mean, I wouldn't probably do this stuff in like maybe like a squat. Like <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, I think that'd be yeah. a little bit unsafe. <laughs> but um it's funny as as you were saying that I was saying, having images of like Tom Platts uh, in the eighties, like having the the training partner like pushing down at like the certain points too. Like have you ever seen the, those videos too? Like there's one video where he's mm-hmm. on the calf raise too, and the guy's like pulling down on the calf raise. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah, the, guys like Tom Platts have been doing some form of these partials for you know since the seventies, right? So it's yeah, it's it's cool that this stuff is being examined now, even though it's been kind of out there as an idea, right? It's I love it. I love, I love seeing the research on it too. I'm really looking forward to seeing some of the outcomes of that. 
Yeah, and one thing I I don't think I hear enough about right now in in the space in a time where lengthened um, or like stretch mediated hypertrophy or lengthened positions are incredibly popular among our group is uh, like I was doing my pec flies today and I thought to myself, oh yeah, I need to remember to ask Jacob or James at what point in a pec fly does passive insufficiency kick in. Mm. Um, is that something that you all talked about in your, uh, length and partial, um, podcast that we just released? No, actually we didn't touch on that. That's something I'd like to learn more okay. about of too. I, I, I yeah, have a so, bit of an idea of the concept, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I have it mastered by any means or I'd, yeah, I'd love to learn more basically. Either. But, uh, I'll, I'll touch on it a bit more with the knowledge that I have. Um, and then hopefully, uh, maybe in the comment section below, uh, Jacob can, Jacob or James can, can add some more info. Uh, but passive insufficiency is when you have a, a particularly mobile joint um, or a like maybe a biarticulate muscle as well, uh, just because those tend to be able to extend a little bit more. So like the hamstring, which is biarticulate, uh, and the hip joint is also very mobile. Uh, and then you've got the shoulder joint that is also very mobile. Uh, and then uh, in comparison to something like uh, the elbow, which has a very defined range of motion. So sure. the bicep, yeah. while also being... Uh, we're, we're, I'm speaking in terms of the tricep for the elbow uh, extension. So like you can't really go into passive insufficiency as far as I know without dislocating your elbow on the tricep. So mm. the end range of motion for the tricep is, it isn't going to fall into that passive insufficiency. But when you have a, a pec fly and, and you've got an extremely, you maybe as an individual are extremely flexible, you can bring that arm incredibly far back. And at some point, the muscle is stretched to a point where it, it down-regulates its ability to, I don't know if these are the correct terms specifically, but the uh, amount of contractile force is significantly diminished at that particular point uh, as some sort of protective mechanism against uh, muscle damage in, in a profound way. Um, and I believe, I believe it's on any joint that is extremely mobile and then some that are um, biarticulate. I think the hamstrings... Uh, like I said, and then uh, the bicep, I think, can also get in there if you're like really, really stretching your arm. So, like, as far as I'm aware, um, the lengthened position is great, but you can't go way past it. And that's something I think about when I'm doing my like my pec flies because I, like I said, I go as yeah. as as much as I can really stretch. I, I've and seen I, people like, get some crazy range of motions on it. Yeah, I've seen a few videos of people doing that. So it's it's a good it's worth bringing up. I think for sure. Yeah. So like I mean, definitely you want to go into lengthen lengthen positions as much as you can. Uh, but there there is a point in which the stretch is going to become a limitation in that you're no longer able to produce the same amount of um, tension that you would if you had gotten just slightly before that point of range of motion. But yeah, I, I hope so we can kind of dive into that a little bit more in either the comments below. So take a look, like, and subscribe and follow it. Um, or we can cover it again in another podcast or something. Because I, I love the topic, but I don't know enough to really say where that hits. I have a quick question for you about that too. With um, the pec fly, do you require an external load to get into that stretch position? Or can you just do it sitting in your chair right now? I don't, um, I don't, I think it, I can't. Um, I think from what I am aware of, it for the pec specifically, that would be a difficult one to get into that position. Yeah. Um, but it might be a little bit easier with the bicep without having an external load get into that into that right. stretch. Just because 
Does, um, yeah, that position is a little bit easier than right or harder just, than that. Just as you were thinking about that, I was thinking about people or, or how I would recommend people do a range of motion. And usually, what I tell mm-hmm. them is, you know, if you're on like a chest press or like, let's say a dumbbell press, actually, that's a better example. How deep should I go? Well, what kind of range of motion can you get back into with no weight? How does that feel? Like, where does that stop? That's probably a, maybe a decent starting point, but I didn't consider someone with hypermobile joints. So maybe that's something yeah, to kind of be aware of for myself. And it might be combined with a neurological component or have to do with the cross bridging at particularly lengthened positions where right. there's just like, I, I don't know the specific cellular anatomy quite titan, well. Titan. To... I just don't want to say the word Titan. Titan. Nice. Titan. Titan. Yeah. Titan. Yeah. Yeah. We're experts here. Yeah. <laughs> Protein. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and, and, uh, that also plays a role, I believe. Um, and ex- in in addition to being at the end range of motion, there's too much cross bridging, cross bridging, uh, yeah. something like that. So, um, but yeah. Anyway, that's just kind of a topic that I wanted to touch on slightly for too many to damn sacramires, too many damn sacramires up in this podcast right now. Yep. <laughs> it's the right. not not exactly the science. Um, I mean, we're science forward, but yeah, we're not yeah, the yeah. Uh, science officers of ATP, so he'll have right, to uh, right, yeah. explain they, it a little bit. They, they, can, they can edit this. They can put our, put different voices in that sound like we're speaking intelligently. And, it, and <laughs> if they haven't edited it, it is because they fully endorse everything we say. That's right. <laughs> All right. That's not true. So, so do you want to get into this discussion question I had? Uh, we can. Yeah, let's do it. I have that. to get my computer off of sleep. So if you want to uh, yeah, lead yeah. into it, that would be great. Yeah, so I kind of came up with this because I think it's relevant for a lot of people um, in terms of how they want to manage an off-season for a competitive natural bodybuilder, or I guess just any bodybuilder, really. But um, basically, the idea being that we need to kind of maximize our time in a surplus, but how far are we willing to get into that surplus given the time frame of like like a two-year competition cycle or a yearly competition cycle or a three-year competition cycle, or like what are we going to, how are we going to manage that? Um, so I kind of came up with this with this scenario where I said, let's say a competitor has two years between shows, which is, hey, if you compete WMBF Pro, you're doing two years between shows because that's what they want, um, which some people argue against, but that's a different topic. But either way, let's say you have two years between shows. I had, you know, a theoretical competitor upon finishing the season, uh, the competitor gets to 10% over stage weight within five weeks, which is about what I'd probably recommend for like recovery. I mean, everyone's a little mm-hmm. bit different, but let's just say, you know, uh, 10% over with five weeks. And then for the next five months after that, uh, they get up to 20% over contest weight. So at that point, they're about six months deep into their off season. They probably recovered pretty well. There's probably checked all those boxes. Uh, you probably, probably think like blood work and stuff is good. Like assuming, um, that given that they've gotten that much over and they've been out of a deficit for that long, I think most people would be some cases, you know, it might be different, but I just figured I'd put that uh, caveat to it uh, so we don't spend time, you know, arguing what ifs or whatever. But um, so after they're at that 20% over, is it going to be more beneficial to hold there? Um, Is it going to be beneficial to get a little bit heavier? Or are they going to need to do a mini cut once they get to that 20% over? Because keep in mind, they have two years between shows, which gives them about another, um, you know, year and a half after that six months. So Peter, what's your take on this? Um, cool. I guess I'll just start with, um, the first thing I would consider is what their, um, interactions with weight loss are to begin with. So if, if we find that someone is a 
uh, I don't actually remember uh, the term thrifty and spendthrift very well. I get them mixed up in my head. So the, the people who are able to lose weight uh, particularly easily uh, compared to those who are, uh, find it more of a struggle. Yeah. Um, in, in most, most scenarios, I would probably have them continue to gain um, or, or maybe maintain, but usually just continue to gain at a rate that seems reasonable, uh, if maybe a little conservative once they get a little bit higher, um, which would be somewhere between like, I don't know, um, a pound a month or uh, maybe a little bit less. So pretty slow. Uh, but a very I would want slow rate to, of gain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I would want them to continue to gain, uh, assuming that they're not way over. Uh, just because I know that the first, their, their adaptations to a diet are going to be uh, very uh, beneficial for them throughout the process anyway. So I don't think it will be uh, difficult, as difficult, as difficult for them uh, or have as many downsides for dieting. So for those particular particular individuals, that's where I would start to start to be. Uh, for those who find it to be particularly difficult, um, I would get them to that healthy, healthy place, uh, gain a little bit uh, until, until we know that they're a reasonable distance away from that difficult digging time is going to be, and then really quantify how much time we have left. If we have ample time, let's continue to go up a little bit, maintain that, that surplus. Um, but I don't want to push very hard uh, into the gain for that particular group of people. Uh, just because seeing difficult progress in a diet is very emotionally difficult. Um, even though they might not have any physiological problems getting down to weight um, on like a, a muscle retention way, um, but psychologically it can be very difficult, very, very hard for some individuals. So at that point, maintaining uh, and maybe shooting for a little bit of recomp for some time uh, or doing a mini, kite, mini cut, uh, I find to be really uh, valuable for mindset and being able to really make progress afterwards. Um, that's where I would lie with those people. Um, and for, for the most point, most part, I really do like people to be uh, continuously in uh, a surplus, assuming that they're training well, eating in a healthy way where that surplus isn't detrimental to health. Um, because as far as I can tell, I mean, the, the stronger by science guys really showed that the P ratio doesn't seem to be a thing. So as long as you're being healthy, training particularly well, um, it, it seems like gaining uh, muscle at really any, any body fat percentage is going to be fine. So as long as you know that the, the distance that you have to go from that is reasonable for that particular client, um, then yeah, uh, just keep gaining. Uh, otherwise, when in doubt, yeah, maintain it at a, at, a, at a place that you would be very comfortable coaching someone to be back into shape. Yeah. That's my, I think, full take. Yeah, I, I think that's a great answer. Um, oh, good. I, <laughs> I was going to say, I think my first line of thinking, and I mean, I did my little off-season in, info thing on my little Instagram mm -hmm. series. And in my mind, like that 20% over for me is a bit of a line in the sand for how much I want people to gain if they're going to uh, compete. But there's, there's caveats. It's like, how advanced are you? Like, what's your threshold for new muscle tissue? Like, is it if you're newer, like you probably have a lower threshold to grow and you probably yeah. can get more from that surplus going up. And it's going to be that 20% over is a little bit arbitrary because it might only be 15% over of your new stage weight. If you have a lot of muscle growth that's on the table. Um, 
But on the other hand, for someone who's more experienced, who maybe they need to think more of the trade-offs of how long it's going to take them to lose the body fat. Um, I think my first line of reasoning would be to try and keep them at around maintenance calories, like maybe just hovering between maintenance and the surplus at that 20%, which is not too different than I think what you were saying, but let's say it's more on the maintenance side of it mm-hmm. um, and see how the training is going. Like, is it progressing? Is it, are we seeing like tangible, definable progress? That's not just going to the gym and totally fucking up our execution and saying we're making gains. Right. Cause that happens. Mm-hmm. It happens to all of us really. I think it's all something we need to worry about. Um, we all want to progress, but you know, uh, it's what my row PRs looked like for the first five years of training. Sure, I just sure, yeah, was yeah. faster at moving at the, at the bar yeah, right. than the bar to me. Right. But I would, so I, I would see, you know, how they did with that. I'd probably give them mm-hmm. maybe a six week training block and see how they progressed and see how they felt mentally about it. Um, and then I think what you said was really relevant with, you know, are they spent, are they the thrifty or the spend thrift type? Do they have a good, or for me, I just might look, do they have a good track record of getting in condition, you know? Um, and then if they do, maybe we do push it a little bit up to 25% over. Um, but I probably wouldn't want to go much more than that. And that's just from my experience of coming down from like a 25 to 30% over, um, over a contest season. And that was a lot of weight to lose. That was like, for me, that was like 52 pounds. Um, so being that myself, I've dieted for multiple positions. I found that my last off season where I took that 20% line in the sand, that was about right for me. Um, but yeah, it totally depends on the individual. And in terms of like a mini cut, that's probably like, my least favorite option for someone who's six months post-contest. I probably more favor the maintenance or maybe just be like, you know, do you want to just, you know, spend some time off training for a little bit and then come back at it, you know, when you're feeling more fresh. But um, I definitely, if they did the mini cut route, I wouldn't want them getting lighter than 15% over contest weight. I think that's flirting a little bit with this being a little bit under-recovered and under-maximizing hypertrophy and just not being as energetically robust as we'd like. Um, so mm-hmm. I probably try and find like what the reason is. Are they really hating how they're looking at 20% over? And I mean, 20% over, it sounds like a lot, but if you're really shredded, I don't think 20% over is that bad. Like, you know, you're a little fluffy here and there, but if you have a lot of muscle being built, I don't, I don't think it's a terrible look for most people. I guess everyone's different with where they come yeah. after this, but I would just be a little bit concerned for that type of person that we're like kind of mm-hmm. setting up this bad kind of psychological, uh, setup between cutting and bulking. And I would probably try and steer them towards you know staying closer to 15 to 20 percent over you know not never getting lighter than 15 percent really let's see one so my stated weight is 137 divided by 157 so yeah i'm about 13 no that, that can't be right am i calculating I a, this wrong right now i, I did you, a i have a chart for this somewhere actually let me yeah uh, so i'm i currently weigh 157 yeah. And my stage weight was 135-ish, 137, depending on peak. Uh, where am I currently at? 135 times 0.2. So 27 pounds over would be your 20% over. So I'm so. at 21 right now. So I'm tw- about 21 to 23 pounds so, over. So we're, we're discussing your scenario. Tell us what you're yeah. going to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to continue to gain until I get to about 165. Um, okay. That's kind of that's the, the weight that I know that I've cut down from and – felt very good about the stage. Um, I did a preseason cut um, to kind of get into shape. Um, so that way I really knew where I was going to be when I hired a coach. So when I, when I talked to Cliff, 
I was reasonably lean. So that way, uh, you know, Coach Cliff could take a look at my physique and be like, okay, I have a, a little bit more accurate of a plan uh, for cutting down to stage. Um, and that's kind of, kind of, I'm just going to go to the same weight again, 167, 165, somewhere in that range, uh, which for me is quite a bit higher than stage weight. Um, I, I know that I lose weight very well um, and very comfortably for the first 20 pounds. So uh, I don't, I don't need any resistance for that weight. So uh, for myself, uh, I consider that a, a non-issue to just continue to gain because I've, I've, I've been uh, training at overweight scenarios for a very long time with strongman getting up to 185 because my leverages are very, very good, very favorable for overhead pressing and for, at least for my weight, um, deadlifting. So that's when I had my strongest deadlift. So uh, I came down from that for my first contest. So from 185 to one, uh, 142, I think is what I got to at my lightest for my first show, but I was not um, as lean as I was for, for what anyone would have first heard of me at. Um, that's my, I think, full full thing, continuing to gain. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want to do because I think I'm a, like I'm closer to about maybe... 12 or 13% over stage weight. I was just thinking too, as you were talking, like maybe I should have a little bit more flexibility with people who are coming in the lighter side of things because, you know, 20% over is not a whole lot of body weight compared to someone who's heavier, right? Yeah. So the magnitude is smaller. The percentage yeah. is the same. Maybe I need a sliding scale of sorts <laughs> to, accom maybe. to accommodate all people. But um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do this because if I, like, if I could pull it off where I'm actually in, you know, a surplus Actually, the interrupt? whole time. Yeah, go ahead. Um, for that for that chart that you have, um, did you have a standard modifier for uh, female competitors? No, um, no, I didn't. Okay, I just wanted to make sure we well, we talked about fe uh, female competitors as well. If if we had the um, like readiness to do so at this point, um, explain that more. Like, what do you mean? What are like, you uh, like for that percentage above stage weight. Uh, would it be the same percentage? Would you add something or subtract something? Or is is that scale um, uh, fine across uh, sexes? I think females can have a little bit more leeway of being a little bit heavier, just from the people who I've encountered and coached and, and seen. I think they can probably go up to that 25% over and probably be fine for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but then I get a little bit... Um, averse to getting too much over that just because I've seen a lot of a lot of females they struggle with the the final stages of fat loss not not everyone not everyone but I've seen quite a few resistant people and it's so hard for them too because they have to just a lot of times on average they need the lower calories which is just it's going to be a drag like I think they have they have it tougher for sure because they're they're fighting mm -hmm. they're fighting their physiology harder than men basically who are more muscular and lean by definition and you know obviously um, you're being judged against other females and you're competing against females, but still you're still trying to push your body to that uncomfortable spot. It doesn't want to be. Um, so I think with them, you really got to look at, you probably want to be more careful about looking at hormones and you want to get, you know, some blood work done and get that interpreted by someone who's very much in the know about that stuff, because there's probably some category of females somewhere that gets 20% over and is still not recovered. It, it probably exists somewhere, right? It, there's probably mm -hmm. some guys too here and there that just need that extra time of being 20% over, right? So I think I think it's it's hard to know. I think 
I think they're good general ranges, but there's definitely some caveats to them there. And that, that could easily be one of them for sure. Okay. And, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot with these questions, No, it's um, but it's the follow-up to that was, would be, um, and is that going to be the same for uh, competitors in different classes? So fit body, wellness, uh, bikini. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm exposing my, my lack of knowledge uh, <laughs> of all the, of all Figure. the subclasses yeah. Figure. And I, and I guess true bodybuilding for some of the federations, there is bodybuilding as well. I don't think OCB has bodybuilding, but yeah. WNBF does. Yeah. Um, would that vary? I, I, I think it's a pretty good general, like, like range, like, 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 like we're saying, like judge the individual, but um, I'm assuming if someone did a contest prep and they chose that class as a female, they've chose it because this isn't true all the time, but a lot of times the prevailing thought is that they pick the category based on their genetics. Um, so I'm assuming that if someone is doing fit body or figure or bikini, it's because they kind of see their body fitting there at least right now, right? Um, so I'm assuming when they contest prep, even though the muscularity for bikini might not have been as hard to reach, I'm probably going to still assume that was kind of a hard spot for them to get to, to get to stage weight, even in bikini. Um, and that, that could be wrong there, there, that could be incorrect, but, um, I would assume most people's contest prep, they've probably pushed pretty hard and need some recovery and need kind of like a, some sort of limit on how much weight they're going to gain, but that could change if you want to go from bikini to, to fit body or whatever, right. That could be a lot of, um, you know, hypercaloric dieting because you need to put on that much more tissue. Right. But then, you yeah. know, if you're in two year off season, you're almost strapped, right. You're almost strapped you know, for yeah. how much time you can put into it. So no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, the reason I asked that is uh, I wanted to transition a little bit into um, like the percentage away from your stage weight uh, matters in, in that your total lean body mass dictates what your like body fat percentage looks like each time you wear it. So like, you sure. know, different, different classes might have different total muscularity. So um, just kind of how you look on stage at that body fat, Oh, for will sure. be a little bit different. So like, yeah, I just want to touch on that and kind of bring that up as well. Right. Cause right. like, there's a lot of people who, um, you know, they go, they gain, they go back to basically an identical stage weight. They just look better. Every time they go back, they're at basically the same stage yep. weight, but every time they look a little bit better and they're like the, the total compositions improved, but the magnitude of like, not magnitude, but their stage weight is the same. Right. And I think that's a really, really important thing to bring up because this is something that I want to say sometimes irritates me um, that I've heard when people kind of dismiss bulking uh, for certain, for this certain reason that you just brought up, you know, I think the thing you've probably heard at some point is, you know, oh man, I put on 45 pounds in the off season, but I didn't gain a pound of muscle. I came in at the exact same weight and it's like, hold on. Okay. But how did you look? Oh, I looked better. You know, I looked, uh, you know, I looked better than last time for sure. But, you know, I thought I was going to gain at least, you know, 10 pounds of muscle. Okay. Well, your expectations are a little bit off, buddy, but the bulking still worked to improve your physique. You still brought a better physique, even though it didn't accumulate into an increase in stage weight. So I think people get this twisted where they have the wrong expectations of what bulking is going to do for them in terms of their raw numbers in terms of stage weight, you know, it's all about getting into that energy surplus and being able to train your best and recover your best and make your best adaptations. You know, does that yeah. account to more pounds on stage? Maybe, maybe not. Right. But the point is you spent that chunk of time in a great position to gain muscle. 
and then you benefited by dying it down and looking better the last time, regardless of, of the weight on stage. And I think yeah. stage weight is a great thing to have for natural competitors because it's such a good um, reference point, right? Because it's not changing hugely year to year. So it's a really, it, what's maybe what's make natural bodybuilding more simple than enhanced because you don't have to guess how much heavier you're going to be. You don't have to play this guessing game, right? So I think it's a really good reference to have and to, to base mm-hmm. some of your things off of, or at least a good starting point. You know, what do you think? No, I think that that's a good point. I, I actually wanted to uh, jump back a little bit to the like the expectations with bulking. Yeah, and it's like, you know, being in a in a caloric surplus isn't magic. It just being in it isn't going to put a bunch of muscle on. Mm. You're just trying to slightly bias all of the little mechanisms so that way the same training that you're doing is is yeah. just edging a little bit towards muscle building as much as you possibly can edge all that that collection of mechanisms to put on a little bit more muscle. And that's still going to be tied to your individual like responses to training responses to overfeeding. So it's it's going to be a small amount Uh, for some people. It's going to be way more than others, but you know, you're still stuck with, with that. And it's really just trying to get, you know, the best scenario of gaining some muscle. Yeah, and I think, I, I think if, you over, if you over worry about it, you're going to talk yourself out of it every time. I mean, you think about it from this from the point, it's like, well, I'm taking in an energy surplus and most of it's going to be stored as body fat eventually. But, you know, maybe like 5% of it's going to be new muscle mass over a period of, of time, right? And if, if you tell yourself that, you're going to talk yourself out of it, right? But I see people quite often, I don't blame them. I don't blame any of these people because I understand the trade-offs. But you have the people who are more in the advanced natural stage who just stay really, really close to stage weight all the time, like probably just as good as they can like feel decent day to day and they're staying there and they might be really high level competitors. I don't blame them because they're probably, they have all the size they need or they're just really happy with with what they built and they don't want to like really rebuild or remodel that much because what they have is working and they don't want to go through that huge investment of putting all the weight on, putting it all, taking all of it off. I don't blame them, but I feel like a lot of people who are in that position, they're not making these, they're not making many strides forward. The strides forward they're mm-hmm. making are like much, much smaller than the people who commit to these phases long-term. Just, just my yeah. opinion and observation. So. Um, one, one of the thing that's, things that gets me is like when people are like, oh man, I only gained like a pound this season. Like if, have you ever gone to the grocery store and look, looked at a pound of chicken breast or a pound Huge. of like lean green beef? It's like, dude, that, like, that's the size of my entire peck. Yeah. If, if I added that to my physique everywhere, every year, I'd be extremely huge in like seven years. Yeah. Like, like that one pound is an enormous amount. It just, it just doesn't seem like it because it's so slow, but yeah. it's a lot. Sometimes too, when I look at my physique, my mind's almost surprised that I can dem- drastically change the look of a certain muscle group, but not increase my stage weight that much. Like, for example, like I was only two pounds heavier on stage in 2022 as opposed to 2019. But the difference in like my lats, my adductors, my calves, Mm -hmm. super huge visual differences, man. Like you don't have to, and you don't, you don't have to squint to see the difference. Like it's very noticeable. um, It's very clear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's two pounds over three year off season. It was, that's, that's pretty much, I think is as good as we're going to get. Right. So Mm -hmm. soak it up. Soak it up. Yep. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, I think we covered everything pretty well. I have a ton of dishes to do and yeah, a bedtime yeah. of 930. Yeah, that's right. Um, 
Before we close out, I want to shout out to my two clients this weekend who are competing. Uh, I mentioned him, Dom, earlier, and my other client, mm-hmm. Liam, competed last weekend, doing his victory lap this weekend here in the nice. local show. So I'm really looking forward to spending some time at a real bodybuilding show and having some fun, seeing some familiar faces, and just uh, enjoying bodybuilding. Oh, before you move on, uh, do they have more shows, or is that their their season? That'll be it. That'll be it for them. Um, okay. They're both they're both second year university students in the same class, and I think they're about ready to. I think they both agree they're going to take a long off season after this. Um, okay. So they're they want to put on some size and you know long term. I think they're thinking of uh, of uh, competing in maybe a few years after their degree is over. So yeah. I know we, I know we were signing off, but I have to ask. You brought this up last time. How did the strike go? Did it continue? Yeah, it's still going on. Yeah, it's still oh, going well, on. That works yeah. out for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I honk, uh, I, I honk to support the faculty because I'm like, yeah, it's doing yeah, my competitor yeah. as well. I love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm glad we uh, got to follow up on the chronicles of that as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So yeah, Sweet. thanks for thanks for listening, everyone. Um, check out atpperformancellc.com. Uh, check out Peter for both strongman and bodybuilding coaching. Uh, Check me out if you want to have some contest prep or any sort of physique goals, hit me up. Um, as well, we have James and, um, uh, man, why, why am I forgetting Jacob right now? And James and James Jacob and James and Jacob, uh, like the three J's. James and, and Jacob so for injury management. And, of course, Jacob's our lifestyle guys. So if you have a need, we have it covered for you. So if you want some coaching. Uh, and uh, you didn't mention you. it, uh, but you also do the um, – uh, the posing, uh, 30 minute posing sessions, uh, which seem to have been pretty popular. So yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. So as, as well too, um, I'm offering these 30 minute kind of posing consultations, which is, they're pretty cheap. They're just $30, uh, for 30 minutes. Uh, so if you just want a second eye and you're posing, um, check that out. Um, any division, any, any person, any, if you, if you want it in the off season, we can go over some stuff. If you want to learn how to hit a vacuum pose, we can talk about that, you know, um, just little things like that we can go over. So, yeah, if anyone yeah, wants, and I, to post- I wanted to mention it specifically because um, I actually told you you this, but next 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 season I'm still going to work with Cliff, but I know I I'm definitely going to be interacting and working with you on posing quite a bit. Uh, I I respect your posing quite a bit, and and anyway, uh, an endorsement for for Connor from <laughs> Coach Peter as well. Well, thank you. So I guess for Team ATP, we're going to sign out for the week, and we'll catch you guys the next fortnight.